Welcome into a brand new episode of 300 Yards to Unknown. I'm Rick Gaiman coming to you from Blue Wire Studios inside the Win Las Vegas. And today, we're going to make a little bit of that cash. 10 golfers who will find their way into your wallet for the new season. If this sounds a little bit familiar, it is. This is um, always something I like to do. And I've actually already penned an article for, for Golf Digest in, in the regards to this where um, – on a weekly basis, that's all we look at, right? Is It's the tournament that's coming up. And quite frankly, it is a lot more valuable to be able to zoom out a little bit, find some trends, find some golfers, find some ideas of what the modern game looks like. The modern game's changing a ton, right? We've seen that just in the last couple of years in terms of the bomb and gouge becoming a, a much bigger and more effective strategy. We've seen guys like Cameron Davis find victory. Cameron Champ finds victory seemingly once a year. Cam Young hasn't hoisted a trophy yet, but it's a matter of a matter of time seemingly before he's able to do that. And all the new young golfers in this next crop are all the modern player. And when you take that and you combine it with the fact that some of the middle portion of a lot of these betting boards, some of the middle portion of the PGA Tour has exited to live golf, we've got to zoom out, right? We can't just look at this on a weekly basis. So what I've done, um, I've written an article about this for Golf Digest, but I want to go a little bit behind the scenes, and I want to look back towards last season's article first and see the types of things that we look we were looking for and how effective they actually ended up being. So start with last year's article. Um, and I think there was actually two of these articles. We did one before the start of the new season and one at the start of the new year. And some of the golfers that were quite successful out of this were Sam Burns. And in fact, I actually called, I'm reading it right here, Sam Burns, a superstar in the making. Did that age well? I think it aged okay, right? I don't know if he's a superstar, but he's a star. He's a he's a modern golfer. Um, I pointed out the fact that he gains at least four strokes to the field in 23% of his rounds. You look at golfers who do that uh, currently for last season. It's a very, very short list of names. A lot of them won a lot of golf tournaments, and Sam Burns is certainly on that short list. You go a little bit further. Uh, Mito Pereira was on this list. Didn't win. Came darn close, right? He was... Uh, if he doesn't make double bogey on the 72nd hole to PGA Championship, we're potentially talking about him being a major champion. And now he's going to be on the President's Cup team. He certainly progressed in a way that we could have expected. Um, Steven Yeager didn't, right? Got off to a really bad start. Uh, played better towards the end of his season. Made a run into the FedEx Cup playoffs. And, um, you know, is, is still someone that I project very, very highly for, but not, not enough of what we saw from him last season. And then, of course, Aaron Wise, uh, who's probably the guy I bet on the most and never cashed that ticket. Still someone who we saw tangible gains from T to green, uh, tangible gains with the putter. You put it together, you imagine it's just a ticking time bomb before he eventually wins. The two big ones here, and the ones I'm, I'm certainly most proud of, uh, one is Scotty Scheffler. So th the idea around why Scotty was on the verge of a breakout. Uh, the way that I wrote it up is I pointed to his strong play when fields get really, really difficult. So when strength of field climbs over 700, two years ago, uh, Scotty Scheffler was phenomenal. He played 10 events 
in strong fields, and he notched five top tens. My theory being he's putting himself in position early and often. My my closing line here says, um, when he does break through, it'll come as a significant payday to his backers. Well, only the first one did, because his, his odds were much, much shorter than that every single time uh, he went out and won afterwards. But Scotty Scheffler, obviously the biggest leap, and when you are a golfer who is contending regularly when the world's best get together. No offense to the guys that go out and contend at the 3M and the John Deere and the Wyndham, but when you do it with the 50 best players in the world, you're showing something. Scotty foreshadowed his success two years ago with what ended up happening last year, and now he's the number one player in the world. The other one that stood out to me was Cam Smith. Uh, actually, I guess there was a couple. Max, Max Homa was on the list as well. Um, there was a nugget in here about Max Homa always taking advantage of his good, of his good putting weeks, which is rare on the PGA tour. And when he gained, I think it was four strokes per round, he basically guaranteed himself a top 10 and he had multiple victories. And again, he goes out and wins, uh, wins again last year. Let me find the Cam Smith one. The misses, the misses were, were, they weren't pretty right. Daniel Berger, Webb Simpson were included as well, but here's, Here's Cam Smith. Um, I pointed out that Cam Smith does two things very well. He wins and he contends in strong fields. Um, when you look at the weighted strokes gained and you remove the sexy stuff, right? You remove strokes gained off the tee. You remove ball striking. You remove all of that and you just look at who's the best when the best get together. Cam Smith was certainly on the top of that list. He wins Sony. He wins the Players' Championship. No, he wins the Tournament of Champions. My apologies, Hideki Matsuyama, who won at Sony. He wins the Players' Championship. He wins the Open Championship. Hell of a year from Cam Smith. Cam Smith finishes uh, in the top three of Player of the Year voting. So that's kind of the track record here. And the idea behind this um, is that some things are projectable and some things are, are, are not. When we're looking towards this new season with a crop of young new players, what are we looking for? Uh, number or percentage of rounds in which a golfer is able to gain multiple strokes to the field, uh, what their skill sets are, and do they have any big deficiencies? Rory McIlroy, while is Rory McIlroy is never going to be considered a breakout candidate, right? He's probably the best player in the world, and he's been one of the best players in the world for a, a decade. It's no surprise when Rory wins. It's no surprise when Rory plays well. Even he fixed a deficiency in his game. Uh, two years ago, two seasons ago, Rory was ranked like 130th in strokes gained putting. Um, the year after, I think he was 40th. And then just this year that that passed, that just ended, he was 12th or 14th. To fix the only hole in your game at any level is huge. When Rory does it, he goes out and he, he wins a bunch of golf tournaments and finishes inside the top 10 at basically every major championship and threatens them all, right? Like that's what Rory does. But even he is capable of plugging a big leak in his game and taking his, taking his results to the next step. And there's a lot of guys that fit that criteria as well. There are also, um, there's also guys like Sung J.M., right? I think Sung Jae is in this, in this category where uh, he actually did make the list where he's just so young, right? People don't realize how young Sung J.M. is and that you can put, throw him in there with the Colin Morikawas and the Victor Hovlands of the world and, and Joaquin Neiman. Right? They're just so young and raw. You're going to expect natural progression from them. Just like we've seen Max Homa, Matt Fitzpatrick, 
over the last four or five years, just getting better every year. It's hard to make a massive leap and then make another massive leap and then make another massive. We don't see that. We see small, tangible gains year over year over year. Tony Finau, another one of those guys that fits the list. So now that we've got a little bit of the methodology, um, let's look into a couple of names here. Taylor Pendrith, probably no surprise, is one of the first names I jotted down. And I, these are in, well, I guess they are in a particular order. Uh, it was the order in which they came to mind, right? This, th that's how I wrote this. I did not go with the stars first. I didn't then follow it up with guys that would be further down the board. Um, Taylor Pendrith, literally the first name that came to mind. When, when the guys over at Golf Digest said, hey, Rick, can you write this article for us again? I said, sure, Taylor Pendrith, right? That, that's, that's, that's where we start. Um, the combination of how good he was with the fact that he missed four months with that fractured rib creates a scenario in which most people overlooked him. He doesn't have a lot of tread on the tires. And what we saw from him was so phenomenal. I've tweeted this out. When you start to gain as many strokes per round as Taylor Pendrith does and do it as frequently as he does, it's a very, very short list. So just to remind you, there were only 15 golfers last year, 15 out of 200 that gained at least two strokes per round in 40% of their rounds. Those guys, those 15, won 27 times and every major championship. The only two that did not were Tommy Fleetwood and Taylor Pendrith. Now, Tommy, Tommy's a much more known entity, right? We, we, we know a lot about Tommy Fleetwood. Um, Tommy Fleetwood is great, but probably getting out of his prime. You know, you can only be in your prime so long. We've seen that from, from so many different golfers. Taylor Pendrith is entering the prime. Taylor Pendrith is the modern player. T Tommy Fleetwood, um, for all of his skills and for all his deficiencies, I would not describe him as a modern player. Taylor Pendrith, I would. So he's number, not, not number one on the list, but number one in terms of guys that popped into my brain when we start to actually break down this exercise and put names on paper. I ran it right back with number two, Aaron Wise. What am I missing? Do I have a blind spot? Do I have a bias? Is everyone else seeing the same things that I've seen with Aaron Wise for going on 18 months now? Um, because what I said, I could have just copied and pasted the same exact thing I wrote about him last year into this year's. Still one of the best tee to green players that we have on the PGA Tour. That alone, the, the correlation between your tee to green numbers and how frequently you win or how successfully you get onto the first page of the leaderboard is huge. He already has that. Now, he continues to putt well. So, uh, 2022 season, the season just ended. 25th player on tour from tee to green, 81st in putting. That was, by far, his best putting season since 2018. It's, it's the same story over and over and over again. I'll continue to step on the rake. I'll continue to be the fool here that goes back to the Aaron Wise well, but nothing has changed. And I find this so fascinating because th there, we are in a um, an industry, we're in a world where recency bias reigns supreme. There is a flavor of the week. There's a flavor of the month. I'll give you the perfect example. Three weeks ago, maybe six weeks ago, because he didn't make the FedEx Cup playoffs, Chris Goddard was the hottest thing ever. Kid comes out of Oklahoma, wins the Haskins, jumps onto the scene in, in the summer on the PGA Tour, and he's going to win immediately. That was the sentiment, right? 
Now we get 50 new guys or 25 new guys injected into the PGA Tour, and no one cares about Chris Goddard up anymore. What changed? Nothing. He's very long. He's very talented. Nothing has changed. We've gotten bored with him. That's what happened. People have gotten bored with Aaron Wise. I don't think you should. He's been absolutely phenomenal. Sung J.M. is next, and I've alluded to this a lot. So when I'm talking about guys that are going to, to win you money in the new season, guys that are going to take the next step, Sung is twice a winner, right? What's the next logical step for Sung J.M.? It's win a major championship, right? Maybe we're a little early there, but it's win a, that's the next step, win a major. What do you like about Sung Jae? And to describe what you should like about him, you've got to go back years, okay? You've got to go back to Corn Ferry Tour Player of the Year, where every single person said, this is the guy. They said he's, he's not like everybody else. When he hits the ball, it, it makes a different sound. When your peers are raving about you on a regular basis, you should be paying attention to that. And that's exactly what happened with Sung J.M. when he was on the Corn Ferry Tour. Then he wins the PGA Tour Rookie of the Year. More of the same, right? Continued just to get praise heaped all over him. Wins twice on two completely different setups. He wins a birdie fest at Shriners here in Las Vegas at 25 under par. And then he wins the Honda Classic at PGA National at three under, four under, whatever it was. When you can get both ends of the spectrum, there's no place on, on the PGA Tour that you cannot win. And then now, in this current President's Cup cycle, what are we getting? Captain Trevor Immelman coming on the first cut pod, saying Sung J.M.'s my guy. Sung J.M.'s the most underrated player on, on the PGA Tour. Sung J.M. this, Sung J.M. that. It's more of the same. Listen, when these guys tell you this, listen. So the next logical step is that Sung J. takes a leap and contends in a major championship or wins a major championship. Now, he's, he's actually contended in majors before. Remember, he had that runner-up finish at the 2020 Masters. But there were only five golfers last season that had a better strokes gain total number. Strokes gain total. Literally how well you played against everybody else. Rory McIlroy, Matt Fitzpatrick, Will Zalatoris, Justin Thomas, Scotty Scheffler. That's it. Sung J.M. was sixth. Those five guys had 10 wins and three majors. So I expect Sung J.M., to continue to move his way up the board. Um, Michael Kim. Michael Kim's fun. Michael Kim's back. Now, unfortunately, I know at, at the time of recording this, I know that he's already missed the cut at the Fortinet, which stinks, right? I was hoping for him to get off to a really good start, but there are few guys um, that I root for, I think, at this point on the PGA Tour, right? This is, they're all great guys. You know, you have interactions with them. You know, you can root for all of them, whether they're going for their 20th win or their first win. It's hard for me to, like, root for guys anymore. Michael Kim is very easy to root for. He missed every single cut in 2019, right? Remember that? Goes out, has an unbelievable uh, record-setting John Deere Classic, wins that, misses, like, every cut for the next two years, every single one in 2019. The only two that he didn't miss the cut were no cut events, and he finished dead last in both of them. He lost it. Golf's a sick game. Golf's a fickle game. Golf is just as much mental as it is physical, and we have seen guys struggle and never get it back. Michael Kim got it back, right? Michael Kim went down to the Corn Ferry Tour, earned his card. He had a ton of top 20 finishes. In fact, he rattled off 
uh, five top 20 finishes down the stretch to earn his tour card for this season. I don't think he's going to find the winner's circle, right? There's just too many guys. It's unlikely Michael Kim finds victory in the new year. Um, there's just too many great players. There's not enough events. It's probably not going to happen, but is Michael Kim going to cash a lot of top 20 tickets? Is Michael Kim going to get you a big ROI in the jock market? If you're playing stock market DFS, is he going to be a guy that you can take matchups against worse, worse guys? Is he some like, like, yes, 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 yes. Right. I think he's that type of guy, probably unlikely that he actually hoists a trophy on a Sunday. If he does, it'll be incredible. But top 20 markets is probably where we want to be on Michael Kim. That new crop. Michael Kim's not a necessarily a new crop from the Corn Ferry Tour, but there are there are these guys. And, you know, I think immediately of Sam Stevens and Justin Suh and some of these other guys that are coming up from, from the Corn Ferry. And Carl Yuan is probably most likely to make you money, most likely to be a star. I'll I'll, I'll give you a hint. Google the highlights, right? Throw them into the YouTube machine. See what pops out. Because uh, if you're just looking at the box scores for Carl Yuan, if you're just looking at the uh, finishing positions, you're doing yourself an injustice. He's got this crazy swing. He's all over the place. He's very animated. If you thought Sahith Tagala was animated, Carl Yuan makes him look like Charles Howell III, right? I mean, it's, it's incredible. And it's not just the flashiness. He's a legit player, right? We saw that. We've seen other guys that have the swing and the personality and they're not good enough. Uh, Carl is definitely good enough. He's 25 years old. And I think he is probably the blueprint for the modern tour player. He hits it far, uh, was inside the top 10 on the Corn Ferry Tour in driving distance. And he's super inaccurate outside the top 90. But there's probably only eight places on the PGA Tour that that really kills you. And it's possible that Carl doesn't even make half of those fields. So every time he tees it up, he's probably going to be fairly live. Think about your 3Ms, your John Deere Classics, your Rocket Mortgages, um, those types of events, maybe places where you can bomb it without regard for accuracy and fill it up in a big way. I find it fascinating that the Corn Ferry Tour is so competitive and you'll see a lot of guys who win once, finish second, finish third, and miss 15 cuts, get their tour card. You are incentivized on the Corn Ferry to go very, very low as early, like as, as often as possible. And if not, just miss the cut. The, the high volatility, high ceiling approach on the Corn Ferry is the way to make money. And it's the way to get a job. And then that translates immediately to a winning skill set on the PGA Tour. So Carl Yuan, who piles up birdies, uh, four and a half per round on the Corn Ferry last season inside the top 10, that skill set goes a long way when you get yourself into a birdie fest on the PGA Tour. Brendan Steele's another one. And I've kind of already spent plenty of oxygen on Brendan Steele and anointing him the new captain of Team No Putt. I'll make this brief. He was Rory McIlroy in the ball striking categories from the Arnold Palmer Invitational on last year. Six months. For six months, Brandon Steele was the second best ball striker on the PGA Tour. Rory McIlroy was the only guy who was better. Steele gained a stroke and a half per round over six months. It's incredible stuff. Cannot putt. Um, find me a putting week, Brendan, 
right? One put, find me one putting week where you gain two strokes, you win the golf tournament. He is um, a more volatile Keegan Bradley. He is a more volatile Emiliano Grillo, although Grillo's starting to putt better. I, I think it's unlikely that he wins, but he's going to win you a lot of money in showdown, in single-round matchups, in props markets, right? When you get an opportunity to buy into Brendan Steele's upside, that feels like the way to go about doing it. Now, unfortunately, that upside is something he doesn't tap into for four rounds at a time. So I'm probably going to approach him single round, showdown, single round props. Um, you know, if you can get those single round matchups, that that feels like the best way to approach Brendan Steele because you're likely staring down at him losing four strokes with the flat stick every, si- every single time he tees it up. Probably the biggest name on this list is um, is John Rahm, who I think we are now entering the world of getting much better numbers on John Rahm. You know, we have seen, let's see here, um, 11, there was a streak of 11 straight events in which John Rahm was 9-1 to one or shorter. Very difficult to bet a guy at 9-1 to one or shorter, and John Rahm lives there for basically four or five months straight. Well, since that streak ended, now over the last 12 events of John Rahm's uh, season, he was priced in the single digits only twice. So we're already seeing a drift. We're seeing a John Rahm drift to the teens, to the early 20s. Uh, he is going to make books pay for that. It's just, it's unlikely that he doesn't, right? So he had an underwhelmingly historic season in 2022. There have only been 11 golfers in the history of the shot link era, which goes back to 2004, to gain one stroke or more off the tee per round. 11 times has it happened until John Rahm did it last year. John Rahm was the 12th player in shot link history to gain a stroke per round off the tees. Those golfers generally go on to win a lot, and they win a lot of money, okay? John Rahm had basically the worst season of all of those guys. Those 12 guys, you look at what they did. They basically averaged three wins. They were like fourth on the money list. John Rahm had one win at a golf course at a tournament that he was three and a half to one and finished 15th on the money list. It's almost impossible how little he got out of that historic season. And now a perfect storm where everybody else is winning. The odds are lengthening. John Rahm comes back to us at 20 to one and probably wins for us. And I probably, probably wins multiple times, right? I'm, I'm bullish on John Rahm considering he squeezed no juice out of the season that he had last year. A three and a half to one winner was all he got. Brutal, absolutely brutal stuff. For the first time in Colin Morikawa's young career, did he not win, right? Isn't that crazy to think? Completed a PGA Tour season without a victory. Feels like it's been a while. It has. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be too upset. Won five million dollars on the golf course. He had eight top ten finishes. Colin Morikawa doing just fine, right? But Colin Morikawa is a winner. Colin Morikawa. Okay. So as much as I love to live in the spreadsheets, as much as I love to look at the data, as much as I love to find the trends, there's something about this guy that doesn't live in a spreadsheet. That when you get him in the mix, uh, he's gonna just grab the tournament by the throat. And we have seen him go from historically awful putting weeks 
to getting himself in contention and rolling the rock like he's Brad Faxon, right? You know, rolling the rock like he's a prime tiger, right? I mean, it's just unbelievable when he gets into the moment. He was fighting. Remember, we've got to put a little context to this bad season that Colin Morikawa had last year, which was five million bucks in eight top tens. Fought his swing basically all year long, right? Remember, he couldn't hit the baby cut at the U.S. Open. Couldn't hit the baby cut at the U.S. Open. And if he doesn't gag to a 75 or 76, whatever it was on Saturday, he runs away with it. For three rounds, he was phenomenal, and he had no idea where the ball was going. Tried to play a draw at Brookline. Uh, the baby cut's back, by the way. He's kind of already put those put those to bed, and the stats are starting to bear it out because over his last five measure PGA Tour events last season, he gained 22 strokes on approach. Looks a lot like Colin Morikawa is back. And we're already seeing it. Same thing. We've seen this time and time again. The odds creep on Colin Morikawa. He wins. He comes down to 12 to 1, 16 to 1, 25 to 1, 30 to 1. He wins at 30 to 1. Comes back down to 12 to 1. 16, 25, 30, wins at 30 to 1, right? I've tweeted this out, and, and a lot of people have been tracking this. If you are blindly betting or have been blindly betting Colin Morikawa every event since he turned professional, uh, you are making a ton of money. It's the facts. Because odds makers forget about him and don't give him enough credit, and then he wins at a uh, historically prolific rate, and that is likely to continue. I've got two more here. And these are the two that I'm probably, um, I don't want to say most concerned about, but the two that I, I do wonder about. Um, and it's why they're 9 and 10 here, right? These are in order of me writing them up and doing the research. Tom Kim, Ju Hyung Kim, goes by Tom. What is Tom Kim? And when will we learn what Tom Kim is? Because he's got like 11 events on the PGA Tour. Now, obviously, prior to that, he has um, he dominated some of these some of these worldwide tours, which is how he gets into the U.S. Open. It's how he gets into the Scottish Open, improves that OWGR, gets into these fields, takes full advantage of it. Twenty third place finish at the U.S. Open, a third place finish at the Scottish Open. Then he goes on to win the Wyndham Championship. So already in just those dozen events, we've seen a staggering. Uh, upside. The Wyndham Championship, he gained like 11 and a half strokes putting. It was one of the best uh, events ever in shot link history. Well, he still found a way to finish inside top 15 and top 10, even when he was not putting well, because his approach numbers are bonkers. And when you look at all of this and realize he's 20 years old, it's terrifying, right? This is almost straight out of the blueprint of a Joaquin Neiman or a Sung J.M., where you are playing at the highest possible competitive level before you're old enough to drink in the United States, right? Like, that's that's terrifying. And that generally works out very, very well for those golfers, as you can imagine. The ball, like, don't, don't get blinded by the 11 strokes gained with the flat stick at the Wyndham. Gain 26 on approach in his final seven events of the year and only lost strokes off the tee once. He's a ball striker. Captain Trevor Immelman gets him on the President's Cup team. And I'll tell you what, we're going to do, we'll do a President's Cup uh, 
preview, obviously, and do a lot of President's Cup content. The X factor for this international team is Tom Kim. And I'll tell you why. They don't have many stalwarts, right? Adam Scott probably going to play every single session. Adam Scott's played every session ever. I think outside of one. I think he's missed one session in, um, it's like in nine President's Cups. Something. It's like 44 out of 45 possible sessions Adam Scott has played. It's crazy. He's probably going to play five. Hideki Matsuyama likely to play five. Corey Connors likely to play five. Tom Kim, I think, could play five. Uh, Sungjae is going to play five or four, four or five. Connors might play four. Here's the value in Tom Kim. He's amazing. One, let's start there. He's 20. He's not going to get tired. He has been acting as the translator, essentially, for Sungjae Im, for KH Lee, for Siwoo Kim, for the other guys that are on uh, this President's Cup team that are also from South Korea. So, so Captain Immelman knows how valuable he is, probably plugs him in in a lot of places. He can play with anybody. He can play with anyone. He, there is a, I will bet the second, the second the international team top point scorers come out, I'll be betting Tom Kim. There's a path to him playing every session, and there's a path to him playing really well, and maybe two and a half points wins it for me. Right, we've seen well, what was what was the highest point scorer in last year, or last Presidents Cup, one and a half points, two points. I don't know. It wasn't many. It was a blowout. Tom Kim might be that guy, and he might be that guy to line your pockets. And then finally, I kind of mentioned him at the top. It's um, it's Sahib Sahib Tagala, right? I had someone message me, and they, you know, they've seen me tweet these blind, you know, blindly bet things. They hear me say, oh, I, I just bet Victor every single week. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, and I get a lot of questions like, who, who should I do that for this year? And I had someone message me and say, hey, Rick, my friends and I decided we're going to pick a golfer to bet every single time he tees it up. And the guy we chose was Sahith. And I was like, okay, that's, that's not bad, right? Because you're going to get a lot of really good numbers on him. You're going to get a lot of 40s and 50s, and as the fields start to get stronger, you're going to get like 80s and 100s on him, potentially. I don't hate that. And we've seen him already find his way towards the top of leaderboards. Hasn't crossed through the finish line yet, but that's why you're going to be able to get a lot of those good odds on him. The scary part about Sahith to me is that he is um, just so raw, right? We're, we're in, we talk a lot about the modern golfer being long and inaccurate and high upside. And that's that's true for Sahith. But a lot of these young guys, they want to be technicians. They want to be robots. They want to be uh, technical guys that get themselves into a certain position. And um, every single spot of their swing, they, they're able to identify by a metric or, uh, or whatever else it might be. Put it on video, uh, uh, degrees, whatever. Sahith's the artist, right? He's just like out there playing field golf. He's just out there putting the ball in the cup, which when that works is awesome. When that doesn't work, it's very short weeks for him, right? It's, it's missing the cut by multiple strokes. It just, it just doesn't go well. So we'll see if he takes a step in the direction of more consistent. Um, if he does, I, I think that like there's a chance he wins, right? So to put this into perspective, Sahith gained nine strokes to the field, at least nine, 
five different times last year. That's a lot. When you start bearing down on double digits, it starts to be a lot. Max Homa only gained nine strokes or more four times last year. He won twice of them. Uh, twice of them. Two of them. He won twice. Two of the four. Max Homa is the perfect example of taking advantage of every opportunity. Sahit Tagala didn't take advantage of any of those opportunities. Does that change? Does he get a little bit of win luck? Probably should have won Phoenix, right? Gets a horrible bounce on uh, 15, 16, 17 into the water, right? Like probably should have won in Phoenix. Got unlucky. I, I think there's a chance he takes that next natural progression into becoming a PGA Tour winner. If you ask me about any one specific golfer, I'd probably tell you they don't win in 2022, right? I think I think you when you start looking at this, you've got to assess realities that there's only, call it 48 events. And we know we're going to get multiple winners, so there might only be 35 guys that win PGA Tour events. And there's 200 golfers. And there's like... 70 really, really good golfers. And there's like 150 who can be the best golfer for a single week at a time, right? We've seen it. We've seen Jim Herman. We've seen KH Lee pop off. We've seen Kevin Na pop off. Like these guys can be the best in the world for four rounds at a time. So when you're looking at deploying uh, Sahith and you're looking at deploying Tom Kim and Michael Kim and all these guys that you're very excited about, uh, deploy them correctly, right? It's not always going to be the outright market. You're going to have opportunities for matchups and finishing position and all this other stuff because it's really, really hard to win on the PGA Tour. The guys that you want to see that are likely to make tangible improvements are guys that have one known deficiency. Victor Hovland around the green. Uh, Aaron Wise with the putter. Roy McIlroy three years ago with the putter, right? Guys that have one glaring deficiency know it. And they know that they have to work hard to fix it. And if they can, they take a massive leap into stardom or superstardom, depending on where they currently are. Those are really projectable guys. The guys that ball strike it well are really projectable. Um, and then the young guys who are coming up are super projectable, right? It's just like It's just like if you're favorite NFL team, or maybe baseball is a better example. Your favorite baseball team uh, drafts a tall, lanky 18-year-old kid out of high school. It's like, yeah, I, I see that, right? It's like, I see where he's going to put the muscle on. I see where he's going to grow into being, being able to control that fastball. I see the raw talent, Cam Davis, right? Cam Davis is like, Cam Davis is the 18-year-old, um, you know, hard-throwing pitcher who's got a lot of stuff to figure out, who's got to figure out the control and he's got to put some muscle. Like that's like, I get it. I see the path to him being a very successful star at this level. Um, that's what I'm looking for. When you start to look for months at a time or a year at a time. Now I think we'll probably just uh, go back to a week at a time, right? That's generally what our, what our view is. Hey, Who's going to play well over the next four days? And then we'll do it all again on Monday. And we'll do it all again on Tuesday. So it's fun to be able to zoom out a little bit, talk about players as a whole, see guys who are going to potentially improve the road WGR. That would probably be a pretty a good criteria to look at. You know, these 10 golfers, 
did they improve their OWGR or did it get worse? If they improved it, score it as a win. If they didn't, score it as a loss because scoring just victories is going to be a very tough battle to keep up with all year long. President's Cup on the docket. Sanderson Farms, Shriners here in Vegas. Before you know if you're going to be in Vegas, uh, probably be out there all week, at least probably Tuesday through Sunday. Monday, we'll see. Mondays are very busy. But if you're going to be out here, uh, let me know. I'll be out on the grounds quite a bit. And then we're going to roll through the swing seat. It's just, it never stops. It never stops anymore. And I'm happy to be here all along the way. That'll do it. Uh, this has been another episode of 300 Yards to Unknown. Catch you next time.